I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with art historian extraordinaire Lizzie Daston and myself, artist Justin Bua, oftentimes called Just Bua. Jason Bois. Or Jason B.A. <laughs> I just stayed at uh, out in Sedona, and every person uh, from the concierge to the receptionist called me B.U.A. I was like, what? Oh, that's a new one. Well, usually people get my name right. They say Bua. Like, it's pretty phonetically B-O-O-A-H-H-A, right? But they, they this, for whatever reason, in Arizona, they just couldn't get that shit right. So they said Justin Bois or Justin Bua. <laughs> Neither or of those Bua, are correct. Bua. Okay. Well, welcome to Bois yes. and to me. Mm-hmm. And today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects ever, which is the history of photography. Photography is, oh, he's shaking his head I'm already. So sorry. This is going to be good. It was involuntary. Think, I, I wasn't even consciously doing that. <laughs> I was just like, so, yeah. all right. Manny so yawned Justin's, and I shook my head. Sorry. Justin's reaction kind of illustrates. Bois. Sorry. Bois's reaction Bua. illustrates one of my biggest frustrations mm-hmm. about photography is reception, which is also one of the biggest opportunities is that it is not seen as an equal medium to painting, to sculpture. Mm. It's not considered venerable. And in many museums, if there is a photography show, it's often sequestered in a little back room. The Getty, for instance, has great photo shows, but they're always these little side halls. And photography is rarely shown alongside painting. It's always its own subject. And I think it's because it's kind of the runty kid in the litter. And I wonder why that is. And I've thought about this a lot. I've taught this class for years and years. And I think it's really because photography is very hard to define. Mm. Is it a science? Is it a tool? Is it an art? Is it a fact? Is it a document? And we still use photographs in as evidentiary support in cases, which I think is crazy. And then we get upset when we find out that photos have been photoshopped because we feel like we've been lied to. And I think for me, that is the fundamental disconnect about how we view a photograph is that we still have this expectation that it is a fact. It is Mm -hmm. some kind of visual representation of authenticity. And we've seen many, many times in the history of photography examples where this is not the case. And the reception of those examples is really interesting. So I'm hoping to outline a little bit of this. I know you have strong opinions about photography too as an artist, so mm-hmm. we'll share those. But should I first talk about how how it became invented, how it became a thing? Sure. I mean, I, I think in general, uh, everything that you said is true. I think it is, it is documentation of fact. It is journalistic. It is you know, personal. And, and I think the problem with even now more so than ever is that everybody's a photographer. Every single person is now a quote unquote professional photographer. And certainly every, you know, 17 year old blonde girl in Silver Lake thinks that she's, uh, you know, a photographer as does every hipster and everybody that owns a freaking phone, everybody. And they, every, and because of that, they've made a million filters to make you a better photographer. Yeah. So it's become ubiquitous. It and has, it has. And, and to, to to really now define and disentangle what it is is even harder because the newer our phones are, the more expert we appear to be as photographers. So it's, it's a little different because we're not all painting. You know, we're not all able to sit there with a canvas and paint, although there is like Procreate and 
and you know Sketchbook Pro and all those programs, it's a little different because you know every the mom every mom in Minnesota to every little eight year old in 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 Echo Park has has a camera, and each of those people could have the potential of being a photographic visionary. I don't think that you need a technical skill in order to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And actually this concept of photography becoming ubiquitous, that happened in 1888 with this guy named George Eastman. And he was the first person to come up with uh, the disposable camera. Mm -hmm. And he invented Kodak. Okay, never heard of it. Never, yeah, not at all. And that was so interesting because his advertising was just brilliant. He had the slogan, you push the button, we do the rest. And what's notable about that is that prior to Eastman, you really had to be a scientist in Mm. order to be a photographer. And when I teach this early era of photography, I call them practitioners because Mm. they weren't artists. They didn't intend to create these artfully composed photos. They were practitioners of a newly invented medium. Mm-hmm. And you had to know how to develop the chemi- the image. You had to know how to stop it. You had to know how to work all of these, these chemical baths. And then suddenly with Eastman, now you don't need the science and you also don't need the money because in order to have a dark room, you have to be pretty loaded. So he revolutionized photography mm-hmm. and he really made it accessible to the middle class. And I think that is when it shifted because suddenly... Anybody could, well, mostly anybody, because mm-hmm. it was still a luxury item, but more people had access to this tool. Yeah, I when I was at Music and Art in New York in high school, I did my first camera obscura with an oatmeal box. And, you know, we did the pinhole camera where we let the light in. And that's that was my first entree into photography. And then I took, uh, in my senior year at in high school, I took a photography class where I actually developed the photography. And then when I went to Art Center in Pasadena, I also took two photography classes. So I have some familiarity with the technical side of it. You know, I worked on a Hasselblad and, you know, with apertures and f-stops and all that stuff. And there's definitely an art to it and there's definitely a science to it for sure. Uh, Now it's a little bit crazier because, you know, there's, there's people who are just really good at it with their camera and with digital photography as well. And everybody's a photographer. I myself actually consider myself a horrible photographer. I really am. I I don't take good pictures. Uh, I think about composition all the time in terms of spatial relationships on a canvas. But when it comes to a camera, I don't think of composition. My daughter, who's 13, is a way better photographer. Oh my God. She taught me how to take selfies. She's like, no, no, no. You have to use this filter. You have to use this app. (laughs) Thank God for Akira. I feel like there's definitely an art to it like but I don't have the patience to do it and at the same time I use the camera and photography all the time with my work so if I need an arm or if I need a face or if I need a a distortion you know or or a landscape or a cityscape I'll go out and snap it and I don't do a good job but I interpret it better you know I interpret it with paint better but I, I really feel like there's definitely an art to it and a science, I feel like it's an art. It's just that I always, my whole argument is like, it needs to be in its own category. I don't want to put it in the run to the litter category, but I want to put it in its own category because 
people are always like, oh, photography and art. It's like, no, no, there's, there's a distinction between visual art, painting, and photography. That's all I'm saying. See, I think that isolating photography is relatively problematic and almost misses the point because to me, what makes photography so engaging is that it is incredibly postmodern, meaning it is one aspect of being able to understand the holistic nature of the world. It's like one brick within a larger wall. And I think in that respect, photography has to be understood alongside other things. What do you mean by that? I'm confused. Why is it holistically part of... Okay, so an example of photography landing in the United States. This is great. We have the 4th of July coming up tomorrow, so an appropriate topic. When the Civil War broke out in 1863, Mm -hmm. photography had recently come to the United States through this guy, Morse, who you may know as inventing the Morse Code. Morse was also a very big early proponent of photography. He loved gadgets, obviously. So anyway, for the first time, people who had access to cameras were able to document the realities of war. Or not document, that's a really loaded term, but they were able to capture Mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. And so before this time, the only images that people had of battle were these glorified paintings Mm -hmm. by people like Delacroix or these these really hyperbolic expressions of masculinity and sacrifice. And it's such a heroic journey to be a soldier. And so it was pretty shocking to see a photograph of everything stripped of its pageantry. So in that respect, photography is very much aligned with history. Now, can I interject? Because I did see a Civil War photography show and one thing I learned is that was the beginning of the manipulation. Yes, I'm so glad you they, said that. Because I, <laughs> because I was reading that they were like, there was all of these dead bodies, but they made like, they they literally dragged more bodies over to this area to make it feel like, look at all these Indians who killed, or whoever killing all of these brave soldiers. When meanwhile, there was only like three people dead, but they, they completely you know, physically set this space to make it look way worse than it was in order to get public approval, right? And public, and then the public to back (laughs) them. I'm sorry, I'm going to stroke out. I'm so excited that you brought this up. I'm like shaking. So yes, that you're not wrong, not at all. There are two instances of manipulation that we know about from Mm -hmm. these Civil War photographs. Number one, this guy Brady, he often would pose his his um, studio assistants mm-hmm. as fallen soldiers. Yeah. And oh then, my God. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. All right. So the other one is that this guy Gardner, he was known to drag bodies of fallen soldiers to various spots to photograph them in order to maximize the impact of the shot. And people were horrified when they found out they're like, I have been manipulated. Mm. This is terrible. This is a lie. Now my thought is, The Civil War was the first modern war in scale. A million people lost their lives. So if you are pretending to be somebody who is among that million, or if you're actually photographing somebody who died, the reality, the facts don't change. So who cares? And if you drag a body, I understand that that's a little bit exploitative to the person that you are, are sort of utilizing in order to to communicate your message, but it's the same thing. And the larger conversation is if a painter 
were to use a studio assistant to pose as a dead body, nobody would give it a second thought. Right, but they were doing it to manipulate the public. Yeah, but don't painters do the same thing? The point... Yeah, but we know that the painting is an interpretation of as opposed to an actual event, which is a much more journalistic narrative approach. Well, that's because you assume that a photograph is a fact. And that's my large point, is that a photograph is not a fact. Are you condoning this? Are you saying that that it was okay to manipulate the public in such a way? I think that we need to rejigger our concept of what a photograph is in order to be able to sensitively analyze one. And to me, lots of people died in the Civil War. And so to stage that event, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact. And so, yeah, Mm. I'm condoning it because when I see a photograph, I see an interpretation. I'll give a modern example of this. How many times do you mention a blonde woman in Silver Lake? If this blonde woman in Silver Lake is taking a selfie, I guarantee she's going to take about 30 and filter them before she actually posts one. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a form of manipulation? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Kim Kardashian, like anybody, the Kardashians or anybody who has whatever those are apps are called, everybody's manipulating everything to be, to be something that they're not right. Because yeah, sure. It's a, it's a complete distortion of reality, which is what you want to see, what you want to show, because it's what, how do you want to, how do you want to be perceived? And that's what you're doing. You're creating a fantasy. You're creating an illusion of how you want the world to see you. So inherently a photograph is not a fact if there are all of these layers of artifice. So however, if you're doing journalistic photography and you've got, you know, you're, you're being a real cub scout about it. You know what I mean? You're being really honest it's being disingenuous if you're if you're manipulating the situation. So a journalistic photographer is different than a fantasy photographer or somebody who just does photography for themselves because they're you know narcissistic and they want to shoot selfies all day. But then what's the lie about the civil war examples that we've been talking about? Well that it, there what's was, the fantasy? There was supposed to be this was supposed to be a journalistic representation of what happened as opposed as opposed to a you know a premeditated you know or just a scene that was created you now know, my it, and I totally get what you're saying and I think it's complicated my argument is that everything that agendas are really what we need to disentangle what is the agenda well, it was propaganda because it was manipulated But, right, everything is. And we always have an agenda, even if it is through a journalistic lens. And an example of that. So let's say I'm teaching a classroom where the first five rows, or everything is totally filled except this tiny little section on the left. If I were to take a photograph of that section on the left, it would look like I'm teaching an empty classroom. If I were to zoom back and take a a photograph of the entire room, you would see otherwise. Absolutely. Right. So that's an agenda too. So everything is governed by these subjective drives. Absolutely. And so nothing is a fact. And so to me, it's not this horrible lie that these guys sort of use photography in the way that they did. But if you were a journalistic photographer and that was your MO and you're selling it as such, then you should be honest to the cause, you know, because that's, because that's, that's the integrity part there. And you kind of shed the integrity once you start to manipulate the scene and you make it, then you make it propaganda. If you're making it propaganda for propaganda's sake, that's a different story. Or if you're making it art for art's sake, that's a different story. It just depends what type of photographer you are. Just like I'm a painter, I'm not a historical reconstructivist, but I have been asked to do historical reconstructive aspects of painting, like when I did On the Shoulders of Giants and I had to create 
uh, a lot of scenes during the Harlem Renaissance. I had to create the Harlem Renaissance Ballroom and Casino. I had to recreate, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters, who were a, t- a basketball team in Chicago. And so I did the best that I could. But, you know, it was based on, you know, some piecing together fictionalized places and ideas. And so I did the best I can. But I know a lot of painters that are historical reconstructivists who have to stay as true and as noble to the idea and the the historical time and whatever that is. They have to stay really true to it. They use this kind of steel, then they paint that kind of steel. They use this kind of wood. They only had this kind of wood access there. You know, it was this time of day. Whatever that is, you have to be honest. But if you're, you know, if you're manipulating a scene, then that's a different story. That's a different kind of photographer. I think that you're, yeah, you're talking about this notion of transparency, which I, I agree with you. But on the other hand, let's say Brady had painted a scene of this dead soldier in whatever environment. If he painted that exact scene, would he have to, to be transparent about whether he actually painted an, a dead soldier or a model of a dead soldier? If he was documenting it. And once again... We're getting into painting and photography are so different, right? And that's because photography is a moment. It's like click. It's that moment that you were there, you saw it, you interpreted it. And yes, you can manipulate it in post-production. You can manipulate it while you're there by by changing and rearranging your set. In a painting, it's you know, it's a completely different thing. You're you're putting everything together in your studio usually for the most part. And you're creating something out of nothing. See, I guess I just think it's a difference with one finger going click and an entire time of paint and you know, mixing paints and it's different. Yeah, but there are artists or photographers like Suji Moto sure. who will open up the shutter speed and film uh, movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And so he opens up the shutter speed for the exact amount of time that the movie lasts. Mm-hmm. And so even though the actual photograph looks like a blank screen, in fact, it captures and documents an incredibly long duration. So okay. I think it is a misnomer that photography is instantaneous. In the beginning days of photography, the reason why, if you look at an old portrait of a person, mm-hmm. typically this person looks really pissed off, and it's because the shutter speed was long. Mm. And they had these neck clamps to hold them in place because That's if they nice. moved, then they would look blurry. So oh, I, I guess my my big argument is that photography and painting are not all that different that the techniques are different, but that both of them are equally governed by subjective drives and agendas, and that one is not more of a fact than the other, but since photography has this aesthetic and we think of it as a scientific tool, we assume that it is. Yeah, it is a very different art form, but I will give it, I will give photography an art form because I definitely, I definitely love a lot of photographers like Joel, Joel Peter Witkin, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, I also love Ansel Adams. There's a lot of really great photographers who who really move me. Uh, Doisneau, you know, the famous portrait of the kiss, so those two people kissing in, in France. So there's a lot of really beautiful photography, specifically black and white photography that I love. And I think a lot of photographers do get a lot of credit and a lot of love, and I think people are considered art artists for sure. You know, I think some fashion photographers like a Paul Jasmine or, or Herb Britz. Cecil think, Beaton. Yeah, I think those people get a lot of love and, and appreciation. And I think a lot of photographers like Ansel Adams get a lot of love from the museum and artistic side of things. I don't know. 
how that works in the Christie's world, like if that stuff sells at auction ever, or if it sells at the price points that like a Basquiat or a contemporary artist are selling at, I have no idea. Does it? That's actually no. I mean, Richard Prince sells for a lot of money, millions. But I guess my hope is that one day these distinctions between painting and photography can be blurred a little bit because I oh, really oh god, no way. Oh, I hope so. I totally disagree. That is a te- that is the worst thing that could happen. That is actually the best idea I've ever had. That's uh, the worst <laughs> idea you've ever had. And actually, if I could fire you from your own show, I would. <laughs> But there's two of us. I'll Wait, give Manny, you another example. For saying that, no, okay, we can't. No, because I'm, I'm right. I'll give you another example of an interesting. You're righteous, not right. <laughs> That's true. I'm also righteous. <laughs> okay, so this is interesting. Please write in about this moment. I don't like what's happening. Oh my right god, now. vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> write in about about. The, please keep them separate. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, thank God. Now I need to be a curator so I can prove you wrong. Okay, oh, so in the late 1800s. Photography, in order to emulate painting, because these photographers like Stieglitz and, um, and Str- no, not Strand. So Stieglitz was the big proponent of recognizing photography as. I like an, Stieglitz. Yeah, he's amazing, but as an equal rival to painting. And so he and his group of pictorialist photographers, they were trying to simulate the aesthetic of a painting just using a different medium. And so often they would blur their photographs and they use these really interesting techniques like gum bichromate, which essentially made the photographic surface look like a painting. And so they're trying to say, hey, we're equal to painting. And so we're going to create a photograph that looks like a painting. And there's this guy, Frederick Holland Day, who is often written out of the art history textbooks. And he did something that was seen as wildly controversial. He was a very spiritually devout man, and he emaciated himself, and he photographed himself on the cross, and he he identified as Christ and shot and simulated these scenes from the Bible. And he had one called The Seven Last Words of Christ, And people saw it and they were like, oh my God, that is blasphemous. Mm. How could you recreate your own image as the image of Christ? Mm. And I think that his argument for this particular project is really an argument for photography. And he said, painters, they paint themselves in the likeness of Christ all the Mm -hmm, time. We mm -hmm. have Van Gogh, Mm -hmm. who hadn't done it yet, but he would. Leonardo. We have Leonardo, we have Durer, we have Gauguin. Nobody cared because right. it's a painting. Especially Durer. Wow. Did yeah, he paint Durer. himself as Jesus? Phenomenal. Yes, for sure. And I think that's the big issue is that we expect when we see a photograph, we look at it with a different analytic lens. We have to. Well, we don't have to. We do. We do. Because it is, it is, it is not based on construction and, and, and actually developing it with your hands. Oftentimes, and this is not a, a, a diss to photography, but oftentimes I do hear a lot of photographers say, you know, I really wanted to be a painter, but I couldn't do it. And I, I became a photographer. I didn't have the patience for it, or I didn't have the skill set for it, or I just didn't have that, that thing that it took, but I wanted to create something and it's fine. It's a different medium. It's a different tool. I look at photography in a, on a personal level as a tool to better enhance my painting. Now that doesn't mean that I and, and at the same time, I would be very, uh, I would be very stupid to say that I was any kind of photographer. I am the ultimate amateur, and I think you need a whole skill set to be a really good photographer. You really do. Like, 
Could I become a great photographer one day? Maybe, but I don't even know if I could. Like, even if I dropped art altogether and I busted my ass and I learned everything and I wanted to be the greatest photographer in the world, I don't, I, I don't even know if I have that in me. Just like I don't believe that some photographers have being a great painter in them. I agree, it's but it's a We're, lateral move. I think that they're next to each other. It is, it is next to each other in a way that, um, you know, a great tambourine player is next to a great guitar virtuoso. Do you see what I mean? I mean, I do see you, do, what do you're you see saying. Any, do you I don't know any, if I agree. Do you, do you get that anybody could be a tambourine player, but not anybody can be a Jimmy Page or a Jimi Hendrix or a Jimmy? Well, That's anybody can put paint on a paintbrush and create something. Exactly. It's all about interpretation. Sure, sure, absolutely. There could be. I'm not arguing that there could be photographers out there who have an incredible, who have way more of a skill set than some painters do. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's a different skill set. Well, I I was hope- kidding about the tambourine reference, by the way, because that was obviously I wasn't belittling, you know, people who do photography. I'm just saying you have to keep it separate. And I'm not being a purist in that way because I, I think also aspects of painting and sculpture you should keep separate. Yeah, but no, I think a lot more, of people agree with you. But it's more in alignment. It's more in the same color wheel than than uh, photography. That being said, I don't really know many artists that could live today without using photography. I really don't. I think photography is a huge staple. in And, and in that way, it is in alignment, right? Because it's it's very much part of the color wheel of any artist these days, because we don't, we don't do as we don't, depending on what kind of artist, but we're not using, you know, the plain air painting and, and the observation. And we don't have that access like we can, Hey, I just, you know, I'm doing a LeBron James painting right now. Boom. I'm going to go online and download his new, his new Laker Jersey. I'm going to download, you know, a cityscape of LA just to look at it and have reference to it. It's just like, are you kidding me? It's ubiquitous with painters to reference photography. It's part of the vocabulary now. And photographers, like I mentioned with the pictorialists, they reference painters. So there is a lot more intersection than people often describe. And I think it is incredibly important to understand that photography is manipulated, that painting is manipulated, that both are subjective. And if we can just shift our expectations, then I think- We could all just get along. Exactly. We could all show in the same room paintings next to photographs next to sculpture. To me, they do that though. They, I mean, not very often. In fairness, they do. Yeah, but you were saying they, well, no, they do. I mean, are you kidding me? You walk into the Met, you're like, oh my God, look at that big big painting. Whoa, I just almost hit a Rodin because I was looking at this painting. Right, right, right. So photography should be introduced into that conversation. I don't, I don't think it should be in the same room. It can have its own room. That's it great. It should be in the same room. You know, you should. It's like a teenager. You have you have a room for them, and then you have the adults live in this other room. Oh, see, you're just you're describing <laughs> it like the runty kid. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think it should have its own special room. I at the end of the day, photography is absolutely an art, no doubt about it. But it is a different art than painting. And if you agree with me, write in. And if you agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, don't write in at all. <laughs> Just stop. Don't even think about it. <laughs> anyway, th- listen, th- we can go on for hours with this. There's more to be discussed. But anybody and everybody, please write your feedback in and, you know, give us a review. And if it's not five stars, don't give us anything at all, please. Thank you. But <laughs> give us a review of the show. We love reviews. And we also love Tommy John underwear. 
which is some of the best underwear I've ever had and actually the best underwear. And if you go to Tommy John, all you have to do is punch in Art Attack and you get how much off? You get 20% off. Are you kidding me? I mean, I am happy that I'm using this Tommy John underwear right now because I think I just soiled myself in this heated discussion about That's the disgusting. Thank you so much. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Okay, guys. <laughs> well, next time we will not talk about photography. We'll no? talk about art. Real art. Oh. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>